Section six of Essays of Robert Louis Stevenson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Martin Geeson. Essays of Robert Louis Stevenson. Section six. A gossip on romance in anything fit to be called by the name of reading the process itself should be absorbing and voluptuous we should gloat over a book be wrapped clean out of ourselves and rise from the perusal our mind filled with the busiest kaleidoscopic dance of images incapable of sleep or of continuous thought the words if the book be eloquent should run thenceforward in our ears like the noise of breakers and the story if it be a story repeat itself in a thousand coloured pictures to the eye it was for this last pleasure that we read so closely and loved our books so dearly in the bright troubled period of boyhood eloquence and thought character and conversation were but obstacles to brush aside as we dug blithely after a certain sort of incident like a pig for truffles for my part i liked a story to begin with an old wayside inn where towards the close of the year seventeen several gentlemen in three cocked hats were playing bowls a friend of mine preferred the malabar coast in a storm with a ship beating to windward and a scowling fellow of herculean proportions striding along the beach he to be sure was a pirate this was further afield than my home-keeping fancy loved to travel and designed altogether for a larger canvas than the tales that i affected give me a highwayman and i was full to the brim a jacobite would do but the highwayman was my favourite dish I can still hear that merry clatter of the hoofs along the moonlit lane night and the coming of day are still related in my mind with the doings of john ran or jerry abershaw and the words post-chaise the great north road ostler and nag still sound in my ears like poetry one and all at least and each with his particular fancy we read story-books in childhood not for eloquence or character or thought but for some quality of the brute incident that quality was not mere bloodshed or wonder although each of these was welcome in its place the charm for the sake of which we read depended on something different from either my elders used to read novels aloud 
and i can still remember four different passages which i heard before i was ten with the same keen and lasting pleasure one i discovered long afterwards to be the admirable opening of what will he do with it it was no wonder i was pleased with that the other three still remain unidentified one is a little vague it was about a dark tall house at night and people groping on the stairs by the light that escaped from the open door of a sick-room in another a lover left a ball and went walking in a cool dewy park whence he could watch the lighted windows and the figures of the dancers as they moved this was the most sentimental impression i think i had yet received for a child is somewhat deaf to the sentimental in the last a poet who had been tragically wrangling with his wife walked forth on the sea beach on a tempestuous night and witnessed the horrors of a wreck different as they are all these early favourites have a common note they have all a touch of the romantic drama is the poetry of conduct romance the poetry of circumstance the pleasure that we take in life is of two sorts the active and the passive now we are conscious of a great command over our destiny anon we are lifted up by circumstance as by a breaking wave and dashed we know not how into the future now we are pleased by our conduct anon merely pleased by our surroundings it would be hard to say which of these modes of satisfaction is the more effective but the latter is surely the more constant conduct is three parts of life they say but i think they put it high there is a vast deal in life and letters both which is not immoral but simply amoral which either does not regard the human will at all or deals with it in obvious and healthy relations where the interest turns not upon what a man shall choose to do but on how he manages to do it not on the passionate slips and hesitations of the conscience but on the problems of the body and of the practical intelligence in clean open-air adventure the shock of arms or the diplomacy of life with such material as this it is impossible to build a play for the serious theatre exists solely on moral grounds and is a standing proof of the dissemination of the human conscience but it is possible to build upon this ground the most joyous of verses and the most lively beautiful and buoyant tales one thing in life calls for another 
there is a fitness in events and places the sight of a pleasant arbour puts it in our minds to sit there one place suggests work another idleness a third early rising and long rambles in the dew the effect of night of any flowing water of lighted cities of the peep of day of ships of the open ocean calls up in the mind an army of anonymous desires and pleasures something we feel should happen we know not what yet we proceed in quest of it and many of the happiest hours of life fleet by us in this vain attendance on the genius of the place and moment it is thus that tracts of young fir and low rocks that reach into deep soundings particularly torture and delight me something must have happened in such places and perhaps ages back to members of my race when i was a child i tried in vain to invent appropriate games for them as i still try just as vainly to fit them with the proper story some places speak distinctly certain dank gardens cry aloud for a murder certain old houses demand to be haunted certain coasts are set apart for shipwreck other spots again seem to abide their destiny suggestive and impenetrable mitching malicho the inn at burford bridge with its arbours and green garden and silent eddying river though it is known already as the place where keats wrote some of his endymion and nelson parted from his emma still seems to wait the coming of the appropriate legend within these ivied walls behind these old green shutters some further business smoulders waiting for its hour the old whore's inn at the queen's ferry makes a similar call upon my fancy there it stands apart from the town beside the pier in a climate of its own half inland half marine in front the ferry bubbling with the tide and the guardship swinging to her anchor behind the old garden with the trees americans seek it already for the sake of lovell and old buck who dined there at the beginning of the antiquary but you need not tell me that is not all there is some story unrecorded or not yet complete which must express the meaning of that inn more fully so it is with names and faces so it is with incidents that are idle and inconclusive in themselves and yet seem like the beginning of some quaint romance 
which the all-careless author leaves untold how many of these romances have we not seen determine at their birth how many people have met us with a look of meaning in their eye and sunk at once into trivial acquaintances to how many places have we not drawn near with express intimations here my destiny awaits me and we have but dined there and passed on i have lived both at the hawes and burford in a perpetual flutter on the heels as it seemed of some adventure that should justify the place but though the feeling had me to bed at night and called me again at morning in one unbroken round of pleasure and suspense nothing befell me in either worth remark the man or the hour had not yet come but some day i think a boat shall put off from the queen's ferry fraught with a dear cargo and some frosty night a horseman on a tragic errand rattle with his whip upon the green shutters of the inn at burford now this is one of the natural appetites with which any lively literature has to count the desire for knowledge i had almost added the desire for meat is not more deeply seated than this demand for fit and striking incident the dullest of clowns tells or tries to tell himself a story as the feeblest of children uses invention in his play and even as the imaginative grown person joining in the game at once enriches it with many delightful circumstances the great creative writer shows us the realization and the apotheosis of the daydreams of common men his stories may be nourished with the realities of life but their true mark is to satisfy the nameless longings of the reader and to obey the ideal laws of the daydream the right kind of thing should fall out in the right kind of place the right kind of thing should follow and not only the characters talk aptly and think naturally but all the circumstances in a tale answer to one another like notes in music the threads of a story come from time to time together and make a picture in the web the characters fall from time to time into some attitude to each other or to nature which stamps the story home like an illustration crusoe recoiling from the footprint achilles shouting over against the trojans ulysses bending the great bow christian running with his fingers in his ears these are each culminating moments in the legend and each has been printed on the mind's eye forever 
other things we may forget we may forget the words although they are beautiful we may forget the author's comment although perhaps it was ingenious and true but these epoch-making scenes which put the last mark of truth upon a story and fill up at one blow our capacity for sympathetic pleasure we so adopt into the very bosom of our mind that neither time nor tide can efface or weaken the impression this then is the plastic part of literature to embody character thought or emotion in some act or attitude that shall be remarkably striking to the mind's eye this is the highest and hardest thing to do in words the thing which once accomplished equally delights the schoolboy and the sage and makes in its own right the quality of epics compared with this all other purposes in literature except the purely lyrical or the purely philosophic are bastard in nature facile of execution and feeble in result it is one thing to write about the inn at burford or to describe the scenery with the word-painters it is quite another to seize on the heart of the suggestion and make a country famous with a legend it is one thing to remark and to dissect with the most cutting logic the complications of life and of the human spirit it is quite another to give them body and blood in the story of ajax or of hamlet the first is literature but the second is something besides for it is likewise art english people of the present day are apt i know not why to look somewhat down on incident and reserve their admiration for the clink of teaspoons and the accents of the curate it is thought clever to write a novel with no story at all or at least with a very dull one reduced even to the lowest terms a certain interest can be communicated by the art of narrative a sense of human kinship stirred and a kind of monotonous fitness comparable to the words and air of sandy's mull preserved among the infinitesimal occurrences recorded some people work in this manner with even a strong touch mr trollope's inimitable clergyman naturally arise to the mind in this connection but even mr trollope does not confine himself to chronicling small beer mr crawley's collision with the bishop's wife mr melnet dallying in the deserted banquet-room are typical incidents epically conceived fitly embodying a crisis or again look at thackeray if rawdon crawley's blow were not delivered 
Vanity Fair would cease to be a work of art. That scene is the chief ganglion of the tale, and the discharge of energy from Rawdon's fist is the reward and consolation of the reader. The end of Esmond is a yet wider excursion from the author's customary fields. The scene at Castle Wood is pure Dumas. The great and wily English borrower has here borrowed from the great unblushing French thief. As usual, he has borrowed admirably well and the breaking of the sword rounds off the best of all his books with a manly martial note but perhaps nothing can more strongly illustrate the necessity for marking incident than to compare the living fame of robinson crusoe with the discredit of clarissa harlowe clarissa is a book of a far more startling import worked out on a great canvas with inimitable courage and unflagging art it contains wit character passion plot conversations full of spirit and insight letters sparkling with unstrained humanity and if the death of the heroine be somewhat frigid and artificial, the last days of the hero strike the only note of what we now call Byronism between the Elizabethans and Byron himself. And yet a little story of a shipwrecked sailor, with not a tenth part of the style, nor a thousandth part of the wisdom, exploring none of the arcana of humanity and deprived of the perennial interest of love goes on from edition to edition ever young while clarissa lies upon the shelves unread a friend of mine a welsh blacksmith was twenty-five years old and could neither read nor write when he heard a chapter of robinson read aloud in a farm kitchen up to that moment he had sat content huddled in his ignorance but he left that farm another man there were daydreams it appeared divine daydreams written and printed and bound and to be bought for money and enjoyed at pleasure down he sat that day painfully learned to read welsh and returned to borrow the book it had been lost nor could he find another copy but one that was in english down he sat once more learned english and at length and with entire delight read robinson it is like the story of a love chase if he had heard a letter from clarissa would he have been fired with the same chivalrous ardour i wonder yet clarissa has every quality that could be shown in prose one alone excepted pictorial or picture-making romance 
while robinson depends for the most part and with the overwhelming majority of its readers on the charm of circumstance in the highest achievements of the art of words the dramatic and the pictorial the moral and romantic interest rise and fall together by a common and organic law situation is animated with passion passion clothed upon with situation neither exists for itself but each inheres indissolubly with the other this is high art and not only the highest art possible in words but the highest art of all since it combines the greatest mass and diversity of the elements of truth and pleasure such are epics and the few prose tales that have the epic weight but as from a school of works aping the creative incident and romance are ruthlessly discarded so may character and drama be omitted or subordinated to romance there is one book for example more generally loved than shakespeare that captivates in childhood and still delights in age i mean the arabian nights where you shall look in vain for moral or for intellectual interest no human face or voice greets us among that wooden crowd of kings and genies sorcerers and beggar-men adventure on the most naked terms furnishes forth the entertainment and is found enough dumas approaches perhaps nearest of any modern to these arabian authors in the purely material charm of some of his romances the early part of monte cristo down to the finding of the treasure is a piece of perfect story-telling the man never breathed who shared these moving incidents without a tremor and yet faria is a thing of pack-thread and dantes little more than a name the sequel is one long-drawn error gloomy bloody unnatural and dull but as for these early chapters i do not believe there is another volume extant where you can breathe the same unmingled atmosphere of romance it is very thin and light to be sure as on a high mountain but it is brisk and clear and sunny in proportion i saw the other day with envy an old and a very clever lady setting forth on a second or third voyage into monte cristo here are stories which powerfully affect the reader which can be re-perused at any age and where the characters are no more than puppets the bony fist of the showman visibly propels them their springs are an open secret their faces are of wood their bellies filled with bran 
and yet we thrillingly partake of their adventures and the point may be illustrated still further the last interview between lucy and richard feverell is pure drama more than that it is the strongest scene since shakespeare in the english tongue their first meeting by the river on the other hand is pure romance it has nothing to do with character it might happen to any other boy and maiden and be none the less delightful for the change and yet i think he would be a bold man who should choose between these passages thus in the same book we may have two scenes each capital in its order in the one human passion deep calling unto deep shall utter its genuine voice in the second according circumstances like instruments in tune shall build up a trivial but desirable incident such as we love to prefigure for ourselves and in the end in spite of the critics we may hesitate to give the preference to either the one may ask more genius i do not say it does but at least the other dwells as clearly in the memory true romantic art again makes a romance of all things it reaches into the highest abstraction of the ideal it does not refuse the most pedestrian realism robinson crusoe is as realistic as it is romantic both qualities are pushed to an extreme and neither suffers nor does romance depend upon the material importance of the incidents to deal with strong and deadly elements banditti pirates war and murder is to conjure with great names and in the event of failure to double the disgrace the arrival of haydn and consuelo at the canon's villa is a very trifling incident yet we may read a dozen boisterous stories from beginning to end and not receive so fresh and stirring an impression of adventure it was the scene of crusoe at the wreck if i remember rightly that so bewitched my blacksmith nor is the fact surprising every single article the castaway recovers from the hulk is a joy for ever to the man who reads of them they are the things that should be found and the bare enumeration stirs the blood i found a glimmer of the same interest the other day in a new book the sailor's sweetheart by mr clark russell the whole business of the brig morning star is very rightly felt and spiritedly written but the clothes the books and the money satisfy the reader's mind like things to eat we are dealing here with the old cut-and-dry legitimate interest of treasure trove 
but even treasure trove can be made dull there are few people who have not groaned under the plethora of goods that fell to the lot of the swiss family robinson that dreary family they found article after article creature after creature from milk kind to pieces of ordnance a whole consignment but no informing taste had presided over the selection there was no smack or relish in the invoice and these riches left the fancy cold the box of goods in verne's mysterious island is another case in point there was no gusto and no glamour about that it might have come from a shop but the two hundred and seventy-eight australian sovereigns on board the morning star fell upon me like a surprise that i had expected whole vistas of secondary stories besides the one in hand radiated forth from that discovery as they radiate from a striking particular in life and i was made for the moment as happy as a reader has the right to be to come at all at the nature of this quality of romance we must bear in mind the peculiarity of our attitude to any art no art produces illusion in the theatre we never forget that we are in the theatre and while we read a story we sit wavering between two minds now merely clapping our hands at the merit of the performance now condescending to take an active part in fancy with the characters this last is the triumph of romantic story-telling when the reader consciously plays at being the hero the scene is a good scene now in character studies the pleasure that we take is critical we watch we approve we smile at incongruities we are moved to sudden heats of sympathy with courage suffering or virtue but the characters are still themselves they are not us the more clearly they are depicted the more widely do they stand away from us the more imperiously do they thrust us back into our place as a spectator i cannot identify myself with rawdon crawley or with eugene de rastignac for i have scarce a hope or fear in common with them it is not character but incident that woos us out of our reserve something happens as we desire to have it happen to ourselves some situation that we have long dallied with in fancy is realized in the story with enticing and appropriate details then we forget the characters then we push the hero aside then we plunge into the tale in our own person 
and bathe in fresh experience and then and then only do we say we have been reading a romance it is not only pleasurable things that we imagine in our daydreams there are lights in which we are willing to contemplate even the idea of our own death ways in which it seems as if it would amuse us to be cheated wounded or calumniated it is thus possible to construct a story even of tragic import in which every incident detail and trick of circumstance shall be welcome to the reader's thoughts fiction is to the grown man what play is to the child it is there that he changes the atmosphere and tenor of his life and when the game so chimes with his fancy that he can join in it with all his heart when it pleases him with every turn when he loves to recall it and dwells upon its recollection with entire delight fiction is called romance walter scott is out and away the king of the romantics the lady of the lake has no indisputable claim to be a poem beyond the inherent fitness and desirability of the tale it is just such a story as a man would make up for himself walking in the best health and temper through just such scenes as it is laid in hence it is that a charm dwells undefinable among these slovenly verses as the unseen cuckoo fills the mountains with his note hence even after we have flung the book aside the scenery and adventures remain present to the mind a new and green possession not unworthy of that beautiful name the lady of the lake or that direct romantic opening one of the most spirited and poetical in literature the stag at eve had drunk his fill the same strength and the same weaknesses adorn and disfigure the novels in that ill-written ragged book the pirate the figure of cleveland cast up by the sea on the resounding foreland of dunrosness moving with the blood on his hands and the spanish words on his tongue among the simple islanders singing a serenade under the window of his shetland mistress is conceived in the very highest manner of romantic invention the words of his song through groves of palm sung in such a scene and by such a lover clench as in a nutshell the emphatic contrast upon which the tale is built in guy mannering again every incident is delightful to the imagination and the scene when harry bertram lands at ellen gowan is a model instance of romantic method i remember the tune well he says 
though i cannot guess what should at present so strongly recall it to my memory he took his flageolet from his pocket and played a simple melody apparently the tune awoke the corresponding associations of a damsel she immediately took up the song are these the links of forth she said or are they the crooks of dee or the bonny woods of warach head that i so fain would see by heaven said bertram it is the very ballad on this quotation two remarks fall to be made first as an instance of modern feeling for romance this famous touch of the flageolet and the old song is selected by miss braddon for omission miss braddon's idea of a story like mistress todgers's idea of a wooden leg where something strange to have expounded as a matter of personal experience meg's appearance to old mr bertram on the road the ruins of dernclugh the scene of the flageolet and the dominie's recognition of harry are the four strong notes that continue to ring in the mind after the book is laid aside the second point is still more curious the reader will observe a mark of excision in the passage as quoted by me well here is how it runs in the original a damsel who close behind a fine spring about half-way down the descent and which had once supplied the castle with water was engaged in bleaching linen a man who gave in such copy would be discharged from the staff of a daily paper scott has forgotten to prepare the reader for the presence of the damsel he has forgotten to mention the spring and its relation to the ruin and now face to face with his omission instead of trying back and starting fair crams all this matter tail foremost into a single shambling sentence it is not merely bad english or bad style it is abominably bad narrative besides certainly the contrast is remarkable and it is one that throws a strong light upon the subject of this paper for here we have a man of the finest creative instinct touching with perfect certainty and charm the romantic junctures of his story and we find him utterly careless almost it would seem incapable in the technical matter of style and not only frequently weak but frequently wrong in points of drama in character parts indeed and particularly in the scotch he was delicate strong and truthful but the trite obliterated features of too many of his heroes have already wearied two generations of readers 
at times his characters will speak with something far beyond propriety with a true heroic note but on the next page they will be wading wearily forward with an ungrammatical and undramatic rigmarole of words the man who could conceive and write the character of elspeth of the craigburn foot as scott has conceived and written it had not only splendid romantic but splendid tragic gifts how comes it then that he could so often fob us off with languid inarticulate twaddle it seems to me that the explanation is to be found in the very quality of his surprising merits as his books are play to the reader so were they play to him he conjured up the romantic with delight but he had hardly patience to describe it he was a great day-dreamer a seer of fit and beautiful and humorous visions but hardly a great artist hardly in the manful sense an artist at all he pleased himself and so he pleases us of the pleasures of his art he tasted fully but of its toils and vigils and distresses never man knew less a great romantic an idle child end of section 6 recording by martin geeson in hazelmere surrey